grace and peace to you, and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Now, this is a church to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we're hearing the first message in a new series that's called, Called, Here Am I, Send Me. Based on Isaiah chapter 6, Pastor Sean asks the question, what if God is planning to use a unique event in your life to help make your faith bigger and stronger? And the bonus question is, are you ready? Reallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free. But if you feel led right now to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do. There's a place to give at reallife.org. It's part two of Called. Pastor Sean Azaro is teaching from Isaiah 6 and Ephesians chapter 2. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio. Most of us in this room have grown up in a time of unprecedented peace and prosperity. Think about it. The post-World War II boom, history had never seen anything like it, at least of that size and scale. There have been times of prosperity, but of that size and scale at that time, there had been nothing like it. I mean, truly, the last 60, 70 years, not that there haven't been problems or there aren't issues, it's just we have enjoyed our paradigm, our worldview is shaped by prosperity, by general peace, power. Think about what technology has done. Technology has changed the world so unbelievably. It's game-changing connectivity because of technology. Internet, news, social media. Think about this. We are all instantly impacted by everything in the world simultaneously. We are all instantly impacted by everything in the world simultaneously because of our phones in our pockets. I mean, anything that happens, we get a notification. By the way, little tip, you can turn those off, notifications. There, I've said my piece. I've done that in a lot of apps recently. Oh, it's awesome. And since I still look at my phone way too much, I'm not really missing much. But do you realize how radically different that is than 50 years ago when everything was much more local? Your news was local. Your, yes, we got some world news, but you had to wait for it. And it took time, and there was only so much that could come through the few mediums that, that were available. Now, we are, if there's a train wreck over in France, we're going to hear about it. If there's a terrorist attack in North Africa, we're going we're to hear about it instantly. If there's a group of kids with their football coach in Thailand who are caught in a cave, we're going to be praying for them. We're going to be worried about them. If, a, if a, a, their version of a Navy SEAL dies trying to rescue them, we're going to pray for that man. We're going to pray for his family. We're going to be burdened by that. All over the world, we're all in on it. I mean, that's crazy. And 50 years ago, and 50 years, some of you are like, 50 years, well, that's forever. I mean, that's, you know, my gosh, 50 years. Yeah, for some of us, 50 years... In such a long time, and everything has changed. Think about how, as Christians in the United States, this nation, while I'm not proposing that ever everybody was a Christian, no, of course not, but the founding and the establishment was based on the Judeo-Christian ethic and the God of the Bible, and that was kind of the norms of life. As Christians in the U.S., our faith today is being resisted and rejected like no other time in our nation's history. And that's creating an unbelievably shifting environment for us. We're not sure how to respond to that. 
Beyond that, worse yet, a, a, a kind of a side, be, kind of a side consequence of that reality is we're losing a common framework of right and wrong. We don't we don't know how to determine what's right or wrong. The rule of law itself is eroding at an alarming rate. You don't like a law? We'll just blow it off and then make law enforcement the enemy. Someone will pick up your tweet and they'll they'll support you. You don't like it? And for those of us who have been around a little while, we understand how dangerous that erosion of the rule of law is. How do you have a society together if you don't have common laws that you agree upon and that you enforce? How do you do that? We are on shifting ground and in an unprecedented place. We are so deeply divided, people are regularly writing about an impending social civil war in the United States. I see it all the time. And as I share these things, I think of the year that King Uzziah died and this idea of eroding from the inside out. And it feels like we might be experiencing some of that. Still enjoying the benefits of previous generations' actions, investments, behaviors. Still enjoying the prosperity, but something is changing and we don't even understand all the implications of it. Eroding from the inside out. And this is the world we live in. Now, this divide that we're experiencing, it's causing a whole lot of people to want to sit out. Now, let me ask you a question real quick. How many of you, it's becoming painful enough to read the news that you find yourself not wanting to read the news much anymore? Yeah, I I, I totally get that. I, I just want to say to you, we can't sit this one out. We can't do that. And you're like, oh, but it's so horrible. I know, it really is. But we can't sit it out. There's too much at stake. We don't, I don't think, we, when God is looking at a world that he loves and he cares for, and yes, it feels like it's falling apart and people are losing their minds. But those people are who we're called to reach. I, it's, like, it's like someone who says, well, you know, I know that person there is drowning, but I don't know if I'm called to be the one to go save them. Maybe someone else is called. Yeah, I don't think we get to do that. I, I think if you see someone drowning and you have the means, I think you're called to save them, don't you? Well, we've got a world that's drowning all around us, and we're wanting to sit out because ugh, it's just crazy and it's ugly and it makes me feel bad and all that's true. I don't think we can sit it out like that. I think God is looking, who who am I going to send? Who will go? You can't sit it out. In fact, it's reminiscent of Esther's story. If you've read the book of Esther, you you know what I'm talking about. But but if you haven't read the book of Esther, uh, take some time this week and do it. It's just a great read. Really interesting story, kind of a lot of drama. Read the book of Esther. It's a brief book. Read her story. But if you know anything about it, Esther becomes queen through some really weird circumstances and a really pretty face. Okay? Previous queen gets ousted because she blows off the king and he gets rid of her. And so they do literally this massive national, and this is Persia. Okay? So there's multiple people who have been conquered by the Persians. The Jews are one of them. And so there's this kind of empire-wide beauty pageant. Esther wins. Esther, the Hebrew, wins. Most beautiful woman in the empire. So she ends up becoming queen. Well, a guy named Haman is kind of a shady character in the story, and he has it out for the Jews. And so he persuades the king to begin a campaign to destroy the Jews. 
And so, so Esther's cousin, Jewish cousin Mordecai, comes to her and says, tells her what's happening. Says, you got to do something. And Esther's like, okay, here's the deal. If I go into the king and I haven't been summoned, um, I'll be executed. I don't care who you are. That's the law. And so I don't want to do that. Because <laughs> the deal is, if you went in and he hadn't called for you, you're going to be executed. Unless he takes the golden scepter and extends it towards you. And look what Mordecai says to Esther. Here's what he says. He says, if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arrive from another place. Isn't that interesting? His faith in God is so, so powerful. It's not in Esther. It's in God. But he says, if you remain silent, relief and deliverance will come from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you've come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther, that pretty face of yours isn't just so that you could become queen. God had a plan, and you have an assignment. Who knows but that you've come to your royal position for such a time as this. Folks, who knows but that God has placed us here in this city, in this culture, in this time, for such a time as this. We can't sit out. We can't sit this one out and say, oh, well, I know they're drowning. I'm sure someone else will come along. It's ours. Now, this does change how we pursue our mission. Because remember, folks, and and please, I want you to hear this, hear this, hear this. Our mission is not political, it's spiritual. It's not political. It's not about changing a political system. It is about changing human hearts. And that is a spiritual. So many people, we get all wrapped up in the political stuff. We've got to stop it. Our mission is not political. It is a spiritual mission. But what this does is it changes how we approach the mission. Look what Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians 9. He says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. Why is he not? Because of Jesus. Jesus satisfied the law. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, which is blasphemous for a Jew. He's Jewish. That would be blasphemy. He says, though I'm not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel because remember, it's the gospel that saves. Not Paul, but the way he saves people is by bringing the gospel. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. You see, it changes. He spoke one way to the Jews. Spoke one way to those under the law those who are not under the law, to the weak, to the strong, to the Romans, Paul would do what it took to speak the language, to present the gospel in a way that people could hear and receive. And I want to say, we must too. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul calls it the ministry of reconciliation. I love that phrase. Reconciliation. We're supposed to be in this amazing relationship with our Creator, and sin has ruined it. And our message of reconciliation is you can come home. Father's not mad. He made a way for forgiveness. He made a way for grace. Jesus Christ, come home. That's the gospel. That's the message of reconciliation. And this is when we take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, a listener-supported ministry of River City Community Church in this message called, Called, Here Am I, Send Me, which is available right now on the sermon page at reallife.org. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your gift of any amount helps this radio ministry continue to help others. 
Just find the Give tab at reallife.org. And Pastor Sean Azaro, now an author, invites you to check out his brand new book. 302 Books, a division of Salem Media Group, presents A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life, Rediscovering the Gift of the Spirit, authored by Sean Azaro, pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas. Growing up in and around Pentecostal churches, I really learned to appreciate the role of the Spirit in the life of the believer. But I also saw what I considered to be imbalance and excess in some of our churches when it came to how we taught about the infilling. Now available at Amazon.com, Sean Azaro shares his most requested teaching and radio broadcast Podcast series in a devotional form, encouraging you to embrace the Spirit-filled life. I wrote in a devotional style to encourage readers to examine the Scripture with fresh eyes and make room for the Lord to speak about the role of the Spirit in our lives. The goal of the whole book is to simply make you hungry for more of the Spirit. Order your copy of A Pilgrim's Guide to the Spirit-Filled Life by Sean Azaro today at Amazon or reachingforreallife.org. And now the conclusion to the message called... This is Reaching for Real Life Radio. Now, like Paul, it means we change our language. It means we change our methods if we need to. It it means we change the questions we address, but it never changes our message. The message is the same. The methods can change all the time and should. If we're doing exactly the same things as we did 50 years ago, because, well, those are our traditions, folks, we're really way more interested in our traditions than we are in communicating to people who are lost and who need a Savior. We're called to make a difference. See, that's what this whole real life thing is about. You know what we were called the church for real life? The ministry we came out of was real life ministries? And that's something the Lord gave me. I was, I was in the middle of this kind of environment where I'm playing polo with some really secular people who had no interest in the gospel, no interest in Jesus, and then I'm a Christian in a Christian church. And I realize these two things don't mix. Okay, to bring these people to church wouldn't have just been to say, okay, I got to have a little kind of meeting with you to get you ready. I would have had to have a boot camp. And because, again, I grew up Pentecostal church. I mean, that's hardcore church, okay? You know, I mean, I don't care what part of the country you're from, you're Southern. That's how hardcore it was, okay? We didn't call it the Bible, we called it the Bible, okay? It's very different. It's hardcore. But I'm, I'm like, I'm, I, I, I do, what am I going to do trying to bring these people? into that setting because the gospel's the gospel. And that's what real life was about. It was about the, the, the church ministering in real life. It ministers to people in real life, in the real world. But it had a double meaning because, of course, real life is the life we find in Jesus. So it's the whole foundation upon which this fellowship is built, and we can never lose that sense of calling, that sense of passion for people who aren't here yet, people who aren't in Christ yet. The times may be a change, but God's not. God's not. A second thing, really important, I want you to hear this. Understanding your calling will always involve understanding your history. So if you kind of say, okay, I accept the premise, I'm called. Well, not only do you have to understand your culture, but you have to understand your history. See, God has been preparing you for something. Look, Ephesians 2.10 actually says it. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That sense of calling, which God prepared beforehand. Before what? Before they would actually occur. So before you actually start ministry, God's been preparing you. Prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's the idea. You remember last week we talked about it a little bit. Remember we talked about Moses? How he didn't even know what God was preparing him for. Until the burning bush, he had no idea this huge plan that God had for him. All he knew is he was raised as an Egyptian, 
He understood Egyptian culture, Egyptian politics, the language, and then he'd been banished out in the desert, and he's 40 years leading sheep to the desert. Little did he know he was going to have to confront Egypt, free God's people, and then lead them through the desert. Okay? That's what I'm talking about. Some of you don't even, you look, you don't even remember. Remember I talked about Miyagi? Wax on, wax off, paint the fence. Yeah, you remember Miyagi, not Moses, but Miyagi. That's good. Really classy, River City, very classy. Oh, Miyagi, yeah, you did talk about that, dude. That's awesome. In the same way that God was preparing Moses, he's preparing you. He's preparing you. I want you to, as you think about that, consider three kind of big elements in your life. First, your gifts. Do you know God has gifted you specifically for ministry assignments? Now, they're spiritual gifts. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've got his spirit in you, you have spiritual gifts. Doesn't matter if you know that you have them or not. Doesn't matter if you know what they are. You have them if you're a follower of Jesus. You have spiritual gifts. Some people are like, nah, I don't, man. I can't preach. Nah, I, I, I don't teach Sunday school or I don't play music. That's like the big three. That's all people think you can do in the church. You can preach, you can teach Sunday school, or you can play music. That's ridiculous. There's all kinds of things that it takes for the church to be the church and to impact a community. And God's given spiritual gifts to every single one of us. The scripture says, 1 Corinthians 12 tells us about it. It says, to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Not for our own use, but for the good of the body. And nobody's gifts are the same. Scripture goes on and tells it. You know, he compares it to a human body. The eye is different than the hand, the ear, different than the feet. It's a great passage. If you want to know about spiritual gifts, read 1 Corinthians 12. But the beauty is none of us get all the gifts, so if I want all the gifts operating in the ministry that I'm a part of, I'm stuck with you. And better yet, you're stuck with me. Isn't that great? Really, we're stuck with each other because God, God, God doesn't give any of us all the gifts. So if I want them all, I need to be in partnership and in relationship with you. That's how the church works. Spiritual gifts are amazing. You all have them. You should discover what your spiritual gifts And in a few moments, I'm going to tell you a way that we have anyway to help you do that. But you not only have spiritual gifts, you have natural talents and abilities. You might be really good at math. You might be really good with words. You might be good with your hands. All those talents, gifts, and abilities are an indication to how God will call you because he will use your spiritual gifts. He'll also use your natural gifts in that area of calling. You've been gifted for ministry. Your experiences are another thing that he will use. You should examine your experiences. You should always look back at your history. See, what, see what's happened to you. What have you walked through? Your family background is significant. It really is. God was, will use that to prepare you. And some of you are like, you know, the minute I touch on that subject, some of you get a little tense and like, dude, my family wasn't very pretty. It wasn't something I really want to talk about. And I don't think God was in that. God may not have been in the difficult situation you had with your family. He certainly didn't cause it. He didn't want it. But what he will do with the hurts, the growth, the things he taught you in that, he will use that in your area of calling. He'll use that family background. Good, bad, ugly, he'll use it. How about your experience and your training? The things that you've been taught, the things that you've learned, your background, your work. You're like, wait a minute, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
So my background, my training, my education. You mean I can bring my education into my Christian service? <laughs> yes, and I really wish some of you would get on it. I'm just kidding. But you know, I mean, some people really, they don't, they don't think, well, I've got all this education, I've got all this training, I've got all this expertise, and, you know, I, I can't use that for the kingdom, can I? I'll, it's amazing. The people go, oh, I can't do anything, because again, they don't preach, they don't teach Sunday school, and they don't sing. And so, well, I have nothing to offer the church, and they have this incredible job. I'll ask people, well, tell me what you do, and they tell me this incredible job. And, you know, they're like, well, I guess all I can do at the church is, you know, help out, pass out bulletins or something. And it's great. We need people to help pass out bulletins. That's an excellent thing. But it's like, dude, you've got this whole other area. Ma'am, you've got this whole other area of your life that you're, you're not bringing into the picture. All that experience, training, education, God has put that in you for a reason. Take a look at it. And what about your hurts, your, your difficulties, your obstacles, even your victories? God never wastes a hurt. Those things are all a part of who you are. A third thing we need to look at is our passion. What are you passionate about? Really, what do you care about deeply? That's always a clue as to your calling. What do you find joy in? If you're someone who cares about, you know, kids, and you're watching how kids are raised and the kind of moral vacuum they have to navigate, and that moves your heart, and you're like, man, I care about that. That's an indicator. Maybe God has something for you there. Things you find joy in. Do you realize your joy will be a part of your calling? You're like, no, 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 no. I know enough about God to know. I'm called, yes, but he wants me to be miserable because then he'll know I'm really sincere. We laugh, but there's a lot of people who carry that around. That's what they think of God. And I want to say to you, your ministry, your mission will be somewhere intersected with a place of your joy. Even Jesus Christ. In Hebrews, it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Not that the cross was his joy. You know, his joy was seeing you and me come to life in, in, in Father. Seeing us reunited, seeing our sins forgiven, and new life. Well, God has a place of joy for you. That, not that there's not hardships in ministry. Just because you're in your area of calling, don't expect that it's going to be without hardship. No, there'll be lots of hardship. But there's joy in the objective. Joy in what God wants to accomplish. Vision. Vision is a big one. And here's how you know vision. You know you've had a vision when you're looking at something and you see it and it bothers you enough to where you go, somebody should do something about that. Somebody should do something about that. That's vision. When you're like, I, I, I can't take that anymore. I, I can't deal with that anymore. That somebody's got to do something about that. You look at an injustice. You look at, at something that's not being done. You look at something around here and you go, God, we could do that better. And somebody should do something about that. Chances are, if that's stirring in your heart, you may be that somebody. That's called vision. And you know what? It's not that other people are bad. You literally, two people can be walking together. One person sees something and just bugs them and there's something that's not right. Something's got, someone's got to do something about that. And the other person, they just don't see it. Because God's given them a different vision. These are huge indicators of how you're called. In fact, we have a more in-depth thing that looks at all those things called shape. I've seen a lot of people get connected in ministry through that seminar. I want to encourage you. The fact is, folks, the times may be changing, but God isn't. The times to which you are called are changing, but the God by whom you are called is not. Last thing, so important, is the whole point of verse 1. I want you to get this. Understanding your calling will always involve hearing from the Lord. 
Understanding your calling will always involve hearing from the Lord. Uzziah's dead. Times are changing. There's this erosion happening from the inside out. But I saw the Lord. But I saw the Lord. And he's still on the throne. He's still in charge. The the most important part of your calling is not the call, but the caller. The most important part of your calling is not the call, but the caller. It's about it being from him. Don't forget him. He's present, he's powerful, and he's in charge. We've got to remember that because when we do hit the inevitable bumps, difficulties, and challenges in our calling, we've got to remember that God's on the throne and he is good. So many people, so many people professing to serve Christ, but they completely ignore him. They say they're doing work for him, but they do it totally in a way that he said we're not supposed to do it. It's like you've, you may, be, may think you're serving him. You may think you're working for justice. You may think you're, you're trying to change the world. You may think you're doing something really great. But you've forgotten the most important part of your call is not the call, but the caller. Don't forget him. Listening for his call and responding to him. That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. And if you'd like to hear this full message in this series that's called Called, Here Am I, Send Me available right now on demand at reallife.org and while you're there we'd appreciate your feedback you can leave us a note on our contact us page or even better your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue find that give tab at reallife.org but of course you're invited to visit and join us at river city community church located on lookout road right behind rotama park next to the real life amphitheater if you'd like to call the church the number is 210-490-5262 Reaching for Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. We hope you join us again next time as you travel the road to real life.